Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 15. Acts, chapter 15, to our visitors. Brother David, it's good to have you with us. God bless you. And to our new visitors this morning, good morning. Glad, glad you're with us. Last time we read verses 1 through 21 of chapter 15. It's been a couple weeks, so let's review. If you remember, Acts 15.1, Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. End quote. And we discussed this. It makes some sense that they would think this. Doesn't it? It makes some sense. The blessing of God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants, it makes perfect sense that they should think that circumcision would remain. That's been part of the covenant blessing to Abraham all along. And that the descendants of Abraham and those who continue to worship God, it still should include that sign of the covenant. Physical circumcision. But Paul teaches that if there's a physical sign that indicates something is one way, and the inward thing is a different way, that's very bad. Let me be more explicit. To say on your body, I'm God's, but in your heart, I'm not. That's very bad, isn't it? It's very bad. Paul says, quote, if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. If a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Paul's point is, the heart is the point. The new birth is the point. Quote, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. That's Romans chapter 2. His point is, in the new covenant, in Jesus' blood, what God is concerned about is the heart. If you don't have this special sign of the covenant on the outside, but you believe on the inside, God considers you circumcised. And if you have this special sign on the outside, but your heart is far from Him, He doesn't look at you and see the sign of the covenant. Circumcision is an outward sign of being set apart to God. If the heart is sinful, the mere outward sign does not indicate membership in God's kingdom. Do you hear me? This is a big problem that the Jews had. They thought that it's all about the DNA. If we're related to Abraham, if we have the sign of the covenant on our bodies, we are God's. His promises are for us. Paul says, no. No. 
If you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. God rejects your circumcision of the outside due to the uncircumcision nature of your heart. So, you see why this is a huge problem when some brothers come from Jerusalem to Antioch and start to teach that you must be circumcised, the outward sign, in order to be saved. And something we didn't talk about last time was the church there in Antioch, the Syrian version, they may have thought that these men were sanctioned to come talk to them about this because the Jerusalem was kind of the headquarter church, right? All the big shots of the faith are working down in Jerusalem, except for Paul and Barnabas who are with them. And when these men come and start teaching this, you can see how some would say, Were they supposed to come here and tell us this? We need to confirm this. Even though Paul and Barnabas were saying, this is not necessary, brothers. This is not necessary. They decide to go to Jerusalem to talk it over. The Bible says on the way, they went back through the places where Gentiles had been saved previously and where the Spirit had been given to Gentiles without circumcision as evidence that they were members of the new covenant. So upon arriving in Jerusalem, they discuss the circumcision issue. And the primary thing that Peter says is, don't you remember what happened with Cornelius? Everyone knows what happened. I was hungry and I fell into a trance and God told me the Gentiles were clean. And that I should go meet Cornelius. And I went to the home of this Gentile and preached the gospel. And the Spirit fell on them just like it did on us. Without circumcision. How can you say it must be, a a person must be circumcised in order to be saved? God is not making outward distinctions anymore. The woman or the man of faith is accepted having, quote, having their hearts cleansed by faith. And Peter goes on even further. He goes on even further. Are you trying to make God angry? Are you saying that you don't believe the Spirit's witness? The Spirit fell on them. We all saw it. We all can testify to it. How are you now teaching that if they don't get physical circumcision, they don't have the Spirit? Who's telling the truth here? God or you? You see the problem here. Are you going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? Everyone who saved is saved through the grace of God, not through cutting of the flesh. Jews and Gentiles, men, women, rich, poor, old, young. The thing that unites Christians in all countries, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic statuses, faith, God's grace. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. He gave us the gift of faith. 
Well, if we read on a little bit further, verse um, verse 10 is where Peter said, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Verse 12, the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done among them through the Gentiles. Verse 13, James then, basically James agrees. God just showed us through Peter's vision that he is saving Jews and Gentiles and circumcision is not necessary. So basically, James agrees. And the church agrees also. Um, Verse 19, James says, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, and from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in synagogues. So, circumcision? No. And so the obvious follow-up question is, okay, well, what do they have to do? Because there's a problem between Jew and Gentile fellowship right now. They think that we're unclean as Gentiles. How are we going to handle the situation? The church, through the Spirit, tells them, if you do this, it'll smooth over the problems of fellowship between Jews and Gentiles. Abstain from things that are polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. Just stay away from that stuff, and the church will be fine. Well, that brings us to today's text. We'll read verses 22 through 41, the end of the chapter. But let's have a word of prayer first. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, giving us the ability to have the scriptures in our own language, even in our first language. Um, we pray that you'd help us in, in places where... Um, Even though it's in our language, it's hard to understand. Father, we pray that you'd help us to learn. That you'd speak to us through your word, as you have been doing for centuries. Thank you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we will read the text. It's a narrative. Let's, let's read 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. Quote, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. 
Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ." We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same thing by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. Verse 36, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Paul took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Uh, Barnabas, excuse me, took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Amen. Verse 22, they decided to send some men to the church in Antioch. Remember, we, we said there's a bunch of different Antiochs. I think like 18 or 19 different Antiochs. But this is a, a large Antioch in Syria. And this is the sending church of Paul and Barnabas. If you're not familiar with this, we've talked about it. But that church is where the Holy Spirit told them, set apart Barnabas and Paul for the gospel ministry, specifically to the Gentiles. And after they're done with the first missionary journey, which we've discussed already, when they go back to the area, they go back to their home church, Antioch. They go back there and teach them everything that happened and and tell them about all the ways God is saving the Gentiles. And that joy that's happening with them being reunited with that church is only interrupted by these brothers who come from Jerusalem and say, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. So the, the church in Jerusalem says... Those people that were doing that, we didn't send them. They just did that. They didn't come with our blessing. We need to send people that are coming with our blessing and tell them what we decided about this issue. And so they decide to 
two things. Send two men along with an official letter from the church of Jerusalem, along with Barnabas and Paul's testimony, who were also there at this council meeting, or this discussion. Um, Yeah, verse 24, 25, or 23. um, since Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So they're just saying... Just to make it super clear, we didn't send them. We did not authorize this teaching from them. Um, but there are men coming to you again from our church, but we are sending them to you officially. And I think it's also beneficial to talk about verse 25-26, the Jerusalem church recognizing Barnabas and Paul as true witnesses for the Lord. You know, there was a time when Paul didn't want to go straight to Jerusalem and when a time when they were afraid of him and knowing this is a former persecutor of the church. And now you have the leading people in the Jerusalem church saying, um, verse 25, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no doubt that they're brothers now, right? They, they are one. They appreciate Barnabas and Paul. They agree with their work and with their message. God has matured the church, right, since the early days. Um, 28... This is interesting. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to lay no great burden on you. Earlier in the chapter, when we were discussing their their debate, there's no mention of the Holy Spirit leading them to this decision. We can assume that, but... Um, when James gives his judgment, verse 19 of chapter 15, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them, and he gives the restrictions. He, there it's said to be his judgment. After hearing all this, here's my judgment. Circumcision is not needed. They should abstain from these things. Here, in verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burdens than these requirements. Almost like the Holy Spirit was another brother who was there in the council with them and that the Spirit was in agreement as well. Or that there was so much unity about this discussion, the Holy Spirit had to have been there with us. And it must have been good to the Holy Spirit. Either way, we know that it was good to the Holy Spirit. Um, And then we hear the repetition, abstain from what's sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. I doubt that any of us are going to have a problem with three out of those four. 
you might have a problem with idolatry. Definitely um, passive idolatry, right? If you're putting anything before the Lord in your life, it's a type of idol, isn't it? Even though it's not an explicit idol that you burn incense on. But sexual immorality is rampant in the whole world. And especially in America. And when they do studies in churches even and ask about the level of sexual immorality, the numbers are very sad. Prominent preachers all over struggling with sexual immorality. This isn't just a Gentile Jew problem. This is a humanity problem. Listen, God's Spirit is able to overcome all sin. Repent. Repent. Listen, God will satisfy you. He will. Why do people turn to worthless things? It's because there's a part of their faith that needs to grow up. And they think, but what if I really pour everything into God and I'm still not satisfied? I think I'll turn to gambling or sexual immorality or drinking or drugs or stealing or whatever. Listen, there is no possibility of God disappointing you. He only and always fulfills His promises. The question is, do you believe Him? Do you believe Him? Because you should. He's altogether lovely and kind and merciful and patient. And He gave the thing that had the most value to Him in order to save you. The blood of Jesus is the most precious thing. Abstain from sexual immorality. And also from idol worship and other things. Verse 30. We've read this, but... So the group leaves Jerusalem. Paul, Barnabas, um, Judas, and Silas... Sometimes Silas is called Silvanus. And it seems that he wrote some of the letters. Like was a, um, what, what do they call this? Emanuance. Somebody who would write a letter from some, for somebody else. In one of Peter's letters, um, Silvanus signs it with his hand and says, yeah, this, that was me. Um... And there could have been others too, but at least those four. Barnabas, Paul, um, Barsabbas, and Silas. Um, This is interesting. You may have noticed this when I read that. Did y'all think, why'd you skip verse 34, Bill? Did y'all notice that? If you're reading King King James Version, does it say, Notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still? So in the ESV, there's no verse 34. They've removed it. And that's always perplexing and always like, what are you doing? You can't fiddle around with it. But 
The earliest manuscripts in Greek and Latin from the 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th century do not have this verse 34. This, this verse comes in later. Um, some manuscripts have it in the 9th century, 12th century, 13th century, but by far the minority versions of the text. It seems like 34 is a later explanatory note. It's not likely not what Luke originally wrote. But it seems to be an explanation. Like, well, if they went back, how was Silas with Paul right away after that? He must have stayed. Notwithstanding, Silas stayed. I don't know for sure, but it doesn't affect the doctrine either way, does it? Silas may have remained there and Judas went back alone. Or Silas may have gone back with Judas and then later Paul asked him to come back because he wanted to take him and go on the second missionary journey. Um, so, it's interesting. <clears throat> we know for sure, though, that, that Silas did join up with Paul at some point. Verse 35, they remain in their home church for, quote, some days. How many are some days? No idea. Could it be several weeks, months? Probably several weeks. Don't know for sure. Um, and it says that they taught and preached the word there in their home church along with others who are not named. So think about this. They're in the church, in their home church in Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas are preaching and teaching, but not them exclusively. Like you would think, well, while, while y'all are here, could y'all teach us every time? Because we just love to hear from the apostle. But it seems like there are other teachers that were among them also teaching and encouraging. And it's a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing. There was a time when I was in this church that I never taught, ever. I didn't necessarily um, seek it, but people weren't asking me to do it either. But things change over time. And how do you know if they'll change if you don't teach? If you just let the, the person who you think is better than you, and so you say, well, he's better than me. I should let him teach it. Listen, he is better than you. You should humble yourself. But God uses the small things, doesn't he? And he uses the weak. And when he succeeds using sheep to conquer the earth, doesn't it magnify his glory even more? And put to shame the devil even more? Take advantage of opportunities you have. You never know what God will do. And if you know what he wants you to do, don't try to hide. Don't be like Jonah. Okay, so this is interesting. Verse 36 after some days, Paul says, we should go back to where we just went. I miss all those Christians. I want to know how they're doing. You think about this, there's probably very little to zero communication. Little, I'd say, probably, but maybe zero communication since they've come back. 
They've gone to these various cities, preached. Many people have come to faith, but persecution was really high also. Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back. See how they are. Verse 37, Barnabas is like, great, let me call John Mark to come along again. And by the way, I don't know if you remember this, but they are cousins. Barnabas and John Mark are cousins. I don't know what the familial connection has to do with this, but maybe. He says, yeah, we're going to go again. Let's get the band back together again. Me, you, and John Mark, let's go. And Paul's like, no, don't bring him. He left us and went home. When we went through all that persecution, it would have been easier if we would have had three men with us than two. I don't want to bring him again. And they come, they have a sharp disagreement. Verse 39, how sharp? So sharp they separated from each other. They said, all right, I'm not going with you either. Or Barnabas said, I'm taking him no matter what. Paul said, all right, fine, take him, but I'm not going. And let's say this, I think providentially this worked out well because the, the party of traveling missionaries just got doubled. Because you have Barnabas and John Mark who go to Cyprus and preach, and Paul and Silas go back to the churches where they had been. Listen, providentially, it worked out. God used it for His purposes. But somebody was wrong in that sharp disagreement, and probably both. What's the problem? Why can't y'all get over it? Paul, why can't you forgive your brother? What, you never made any mistakes? Weren't you a persecutor of the church? Not that he should have brought that up, but I'm just saying, forgive, move on. Providentially, it worked out. But that doesn't mean that it's a commendation. Oh, it's okay. You can have sharp disagreements and separate. Paul and Barnabas did it. It's not what's supposed to happen. I don't mean in God's secret will. I mean in His revealed will. Brothers, be at peace with each other. Love each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. If you remember, Barnabas' home island is Cyprus. So he takes his cousin, John Mark, they go to Cyprus. They sail across. And Paul says, I'm going to take Silas with me. And they go on foot this time. Not over the sea like they did the first time. But they go on foot and they travel from Antioch west to Paul's home area, Cilicia. Tarsus is in Cilicia. Paul of Tarsus. And then they travel from there to Derby and backtrack across where they had been before. We'll, we'll see that beginning in chapter 16. Um, and the point of their work is to strengthen the churches. And I think this is a good indication of missionary efforts. Some missionaries never want to go to places where they are already believers. 
They go to an area, they preach the gospel, move. Go to an area, preach the gospel, move. Go to an area, preach, move, 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 move. I think there's a value there. But you can see the heart of these early missionaries, right? That's what they did. Preach the gospel, move. Preach the gospel, move. But after they're back home, he's like, I want to know how they are. I want to strengthen them. I want them to encourage me. We need to go visit them. And I think that has great value. I mean, those of you who have gone to Cambodia in the past to visit Chang, didn't it bless you? It blessed him. I guarantee you it blessed him. But a lot of the blessing, sometimes people criticize this type of missionary work. And they say, just pile up all the money you would have wasted on your week-long vacation to Southeast Asia and give it to the missionaries. That is small thinking. That's small thinking. Don't you think the people who go on these trips come back and are inspired to give more to missions than they ever had in the past? They pray for the work more than they had in the past. They understand the ministry more than they did in the past. And they're following the examples set set up by Paul. Don't you want to know how Chang is? Of course we do. That's why we've been to visit him so many times. Well, next time we'll get into chapter 16. They, they arrive in Derby and Lystra, and Paul meets a disciple named Timothy. So we'll, we'll learn that next time. Let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for walking us through and for um, our brother Luke having compiled all these things, the acts of the apostles and the way that you've blessed the early church. Father, we know that we are not, um, well, we know that you are joining us together as stones and building us into the, the holy temple. Lord, we pray that you'd help us, each one of us, that we would love one another. That we would be men and women who are full of faith. That we would let the world know that we're your disciples by the way that we love each other. Please help us. Help us now as we go to lunch. Bless our conversation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.